Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Good day, everyone. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems and this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm going to be your host today, and my guest is Tara. Tara is the newest addition to our E2 team, although you've been working with us for a while. But Tara, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Don. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, and we're we're really excited to introduce you to our audience. A lot of folks already know you with the work that we're doing in other parts of the country because you're well engaged. But for some, this may be new and you're going to be one of those go-to people in the future with E2. And so it's important that folks get to know you. One of the things I always like to do with my guests is just give you a little bit of space to kind of talk about your journey, where you grew up, your education, your professional work, and what brought you to this work with entrepreneurial ecosystem building. So share a bit about yourself with us. Sure. I'm happy to. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves, right? This is fun. (laughs) Yeah. So I come to you from Norton, Kansas, which is in the Northwest part of the state. Very, very rural, Plains rural. Norton is about 11 miles from Nebraska. So I feel like I'm part Nebraskan. And then we're only 90 miles from Colorado. So we really are in the Northwest corner of the state. I'm not very far from where I grew up. I grew up in Stockton, Kansas and Rooks County, have spent my entire life in the Northwest part of the state. I'm definitely rural by choice to quote the Kansas Sampler Foundation here in Kansas. I grew up in, like I said, Stockton, that's population of like 1500 people, real small. I did attend Fort Hayes State University, which is in Hayes, Kansas, and got a degree in organizational leadership and business there. have done a variety of things from retail management to underground telecommunications safety and working with OSHA. That was not my favorite gig, but I love the people I work with. So that made it easier and ended up in community development just kind of by accident a little bit. So the place that I grew up in, my grandmother actually at the age of 60, and Don, you know this story. So I feel like you're nodding your head like, yep, I know where she's going. (laughs) My grandmother kind of accidentally became an entrepreneur at the age of 60. She owned a gas station. So you and I have that in common. Our roots are in rural gas stations. And I got to watch her. I was, you know, nine or 10 years old. And I got to watch her become a different person because she had the opportunity to become an entrepreneur. And I'm surrounded by small business owners and people who are creative and innovative and entrepreneurial. But my grandmother will forever and always be my favorite simply because she molded who I am today. So I I got into community development then in roughly 2012 when we'd moved to Norton and I had just kind of finished some master's degree work. I had a toddler at the time. I knew what I was getting into a little, but definitely not to the depth. I was hired on in Norton as the chamber director. And when they interviewed me, they said, hey, do you also want to be the director of the Norton County Community Foundation? And I thought, Oh, any idea what that is? But sure. Yeah. I mean, I can spell foundation. So let's go for it. 
And that was really my first foray into the foundation world. That's really where I found my passion and love. I did the chamber and foundation for a few years, eventually was able to transition fully over into the being the full-time executive director of the Norton County Community Foundation and spent 10 years doing that work until I came over to Network Kansas. A couple other things about me. I do have a 14-year-old daughter. She is a freshman in high school and all of the things you expect about freshmen in high school is true with her. She's busy. She's engaged. She's a ton of fun. I think raising kids is the hardest, coolest thing we get to do. And I love being able to show her the work that we do and get her excited about rural life as well. And then this year, it's been a big year for me. So I started this job and also got married. And so my husband is a entrepreneur. Imagine that. He owns six rural grocery stores in Northwest Kansas. So we are not not busy. We stay plenty, plenty engaged. Really, it's been fun to have those six communities because, you know, I'm invested in all six of those Northwest Kansas communities deeply as well. So that is just a little bit about me. Well, and I think it speaks to the fact that you've got deep roots in rural America. You've got personal experience with entrepreneurship and what's that's like in rural America. And I think I think those backgrounds will serve you well. And of course, there's more than a few connections between community philanthropy and entrepreneurship that hopefully we'll talk about today. Yes, definitely. That's a sweet spot in my heart. And I know yours too. So that's a good place to live. <laughs> so it has been a big year for you, a new job, you've gotten married, you've been very, very busy. So when did you actually join Network Kansas and E2? Well, I really started actually with E2 as a contractor a little over a year ago. I worked with you and Steve and the crew and was hired as a community coach. So I was still at the community foundation, but this was kind of a side gig as we all tend to have. And I thought, oh, what a cool experience to get to to see other communities that are doing really similar work to what we were doing in Norton County. And I started out as a coach in three communities in Nebraska. That was kind of my my first deal and did that for several months and then was eventually hired to be the director of E2. And I started that work mid-year, actually. So I've been doing this for a few months, but gosh, there's just so much to learn. I feel like every day is, is sometimes every day is my first day. <laughs> I'm learning. And I think it speaks to our friend Steve Radley's intuition when he reached out to you to be a coach to work with the E3 project in Nebraska, which we'll talk more about. I think in the back of his mind, he was thinking, okay, this is a person with the right background, the right personality, the right skill sets that could really help build the E2 team into the future. And it's kind of neat that it's played out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's worked out really well for me, I will say. Yeah. So Steve has, I appreciate his, let's hope he, you know, had that much vision to think think that far ahead. When he called and said, Hey, do you want to be a coach? First of all, you don't tell Steve Radley. No. Second of all, when he said with Don Mackey, I thought nobody tells that duo no ever. So I knew it was an opportunity to learn more than anything and to grow professionally. But then when it morphed into a career move and career change, it was, it was just great timing, perfect blessing for me. I'm really thankful to be here. 
Yeah. Well, and you and I actually kind of got to know each other through the Kansas Community Innovators in Philanthropy Network. Now, that is a mouthful. But basically what it is, is it's an initiative that Janet Topolsky, formerly with the Aspen Institute, hopefully now retired and having fun. Deb Markley, who is with Locus Impact Investing. Travis, who's also with that group. You were in your capacity with the Norton County Community Foundation, you were part of the first cohort of communities with this initiative that involved Network Kansas, the Kansas Health Foundation was a major funder. And the whole idea was this connection between community philanthropy and economic development. Share a little bit how that experience helped you begin to formulate some ideas around how economic development, community philanthropy might work together be interested in your perspectives on that. Yeah, that is everything to my career, honestly, that experience. The community foundation that I worked with and for was innovative in this area already. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate it because I didn't understand it. And I had the exposure of one community foundation. The more I learned about community foundation work, the more I thought we do things a little differently. We're more on the edge and we're a rural community. 5,500 people is our service area in our county. And that's really small, but that also drives that desire to be creative and that need, frankly, to be innovative. So we were doing a lot of this work and it wasn't systematized. It wasn't, there wasn't necessarily any strategy to it. And so what, what our CPIN work did was really allowed us to kind of take a step back from the stuff that we knew we needed to do and put some why to it. We then said, okay, this is part of who we are as a foundation. This is embedded in our mission. And here's the strategies behind it. In addition, here are the players we need to bring on board to make sure that we're doing this A, legally, so that it still stays within charitable mission. B, most effectively, so that we are, you know, you you tend to get some mission creep sometimes when you bring on new initiatives. And for a community foundation, it was important we didn't go there. We wanted to stay on mission. And so that is what that whole initiative did. And and I have to just real shout out to the Kansas Health Foundation who funded that program and really got it off the ground. I knew it was special because we were, again, we're a community of 5,500 in the Northwest part of the state. And we were asked to be in this cohort with some real international leaders in the field. So Aubrey Abbott-Patterson from Hutch, Marsha Pope from Topeka, and Janie from Coffeeville. There was those three and then, and Norton. And I remember, I knew at the time, like, this is something special, man, I hope I can keep up. But what we soon learned was not only were we able to keep up, but we could pivot quickly because we were small, because my board was incredibly attuned to this type of work. It was like, yep, go do that, go do that. And so It made it a little easier in some cases for us to navigate and pivot. Now we're a small, financially small foundation. So we did things different. It looked different, but we still feel like we did impact investing and economic development really well for a small rural community foundation. And that's of all the things that I did in my tenure at the foundation, that was certainly the one I was most proud of. And as you said, led to this kind of new career path, just made me take a small curve in the road, I guess, because it, those two pieces, economic development, and especially in where you and I live in this entrepreneurial space and community philanthropy are just so well connected. And 
Norton is a great example of that. We have really strong industry here, New Age Industrial, Natoma Corporation. Those are kind of two of our larger industries. And they were founded by entrepreneurs who said, yeah, I have an idea. And then they were built around this community that said, we have an idea, we're good at it. And by the way, we love this community and we will continue to give back. And so I had firsthand experience of how that works in a small community. And so I feel like I can take that knowledge and take what we do in my hometown and deliver it across the country. Well, and I want to probe a little bit because you've worked with rural donors, you understand rural donors. And, you know, when we reflect on the work of Rural Rise, the Kauffman Foundation Entrepreneurship Summits, the work that Nathan's now doing with IEDC, the International Economic Developers Association, one of the questions that comes up continuously is how do we fund ecosystem building and operation? And clearly that's a question germane to our field work. And, you know, at E2, we've got this idea that in every community, there are successful entrepreneurial families. And some of these families have significant net worth. They love their communities and that there is a potential donor development opportunity on the philanthropic side that could provide core endowed permanent funding for staff and programs, maybe not all of it but a key component that would keep the city and the county and the other stakeholders contributing to entrepreneurial development. Do you personally feel, based on your understanding of Northwest Kansas, that there are entrepreneurial families, they may not call themselves that, that might be interested in this idea that, yeah, I'd like to leave some of my wealth as a legacy to help my community continue to be entrepreneurial, just like the examples you shared? Absolutely. Not only do I think that, I know that because we had at the Community Foundation, when I was there, I had numerous estate gifts that were just that. They were people who came in my office and sat down and said, man, I love this place. And I love this place because they gave me a chance. And when I had a crazy hairball idea and they didn't think I could do it at my hometown, I came here and this place told me I could do it and they helped me do it. And now it's a company huge and significant to the livelihood of Norton County. And thankfully those entrepreneurs said, and we want to give back and we want to continue this. I think what was hard for me when I first started at the community foundation was nobody else had these type of donors. I shouldn't say nobody, but the people I was talking to didn't have these type of donors. They had what I would call maybe more traditional philanthropic minded people who wanted to give back to arts and culture and and all really great things, right? Things we love and we want to support. But I had the donors coming in saying, we want to do economic development. And everything in like the rule book said, you can't do that. And we don't do that. We give back to libraries and we jokingly say parks and posies because those are, while they're very important, they're not maybe as long-term drivers as economic development is. And so it took me a long time and a lot of digging and a lot of research to say, can we do this? Is this legal? Where are our partners in this work? Locus Impact Investing became hugely important to us. You at E2 were critical. Janet Tobolsky will forever be important in a whole lot of communities because she said, yeah, you can do it and here's how. And so we have just some examples of donors that Norton County came in contact with, there's some that said, you know, we have this property and I know, I know this will become important to you someday. And so we're going to give it to you for economic development purposes. We have people who say, you know what is cool? 
federal and state grants, some things like the community development block grants, but there's always a match. So I want my money to go to that match so we can leverage that. We have smart donors in tune to the opportunities in economic development. And all we did was give them an opportunity to say, this is what I want to do with my estate. And it was, it was beautiful. And those stories just, I could go on for days with those stories. They're very fun. And I know that those exist nationwide in rural communities. So people really care and they know economic development and particularly entrepreneurship is a great place to, to give back. Absolutely. Well, let's let's shift back to entrepreneurship more specifically. And as the new E2 director, your job's still evolving. And I know that it's still being figured out to what that means, but you are very engaged in the current field work that E2 has going with Growing Rural Oregon, with the Ford Family Foundation up in the Pacific Northwest, energizing entrepreneurial ecosystems with the Nebraska Community Foundation in Nebraska, obviously work with Network Kansas and its e-communities program. We just had Eric as a, a guest last month. Of course, we have the legacy work, the Pam Bishop and Rev in Minnesota, and a small project up in the Prince William Sound. But you've been really involved in both GROW and E3. And so talk a little bit about those projects and your role as a community coach and the importance of that in the E2 development framework. Yeah, as you said, those two are bigger statewide initiative programs. The Oregon one, Growing Rural Oregon, GROW for short. It's funded by the Ford Family Foundation, which has been a just a pleasure to get to learn and know how they operate and think and their investments into the rural ecosystems in Oregon is just phenomenal. And I, like I said, the philanthropy part of me is just in awe because they do such cool work. I am a coach at one of the communities right now. We have a cohort goal of six communities. We're at four, we're soon to be at six of rural communities throughout Oregon. And those communities are geographically diverse. They're spread out all over. They're size diverse. In Kansas, rural is 1,200 people. In Oregon, sometimes rural is 10,000 people. And they have similar similar realities, but they do look different, right? So we like that diversity in, in our Oregon program. And so we're building out this statewide initiative. And what's cool about Oregon is we've gotten Business Oregon involved. There's other players, the Oregon Community Foundation's involved. There's just a lot of other players who are invested and interested in watching this ecosystem evolve and really work. Right now, we are heavily invested into independence, John Day, which is in Grant County, Klamath Falls, St. Helens, Tillamook, and then we're going to onboard a sixth in the pipe, we hope. I work with St. Helens, that is my community. So we are just kind of in the, really in the beginning onboarding stages. They were one of our newer communities. So we are working with what I can only tell you is one of the greatest group of volunteers I have ever been engaged with. I had the opportunity to travel to Oregon a couple of months ago and meet these people and tour St. Helens and see the, such a cool place. It's pretty much picturesque in a lot of ways and also a a really a blank canvas for them to evolve, especially on their riverfront project. They have great city leadership. That's been impressive to watch and see. Rachel, who works for the city, who's the project lead there, she's a go-getter. And so I, when you are met with such phenomenal volunteers on the front end, you know it's going to be a successful project. 
So that's my community that I get to work with there. We also have other coaches from across the country who work in those other places. And and you, Don, are are a community coach for for Klamath. So it is fun for me to get to watch you work in action. That's a real blessing for me to be able to watch you and engage and interact with your community as well. So I I learn a lot every day from watching you work. (laughs) Well, thank you. And as you know, when you're working with people in communities, it is a constant opportunity to try to figure out how, as a coach, you can help them find their own answers and develop their own strategies. We don't do it for them, but we're there to bring ideas, models, other examples that maybe can help that local talent figure it out that works for them. Yeah. So the other client that I work with, as you know, is the E3 hosted by the Nebraska Community Foundation. And those communities are ones that are similar, a lot more similar to what I have experience with, right? So they were kind of easier for me to, to dive into the middle of, but I've been very shocked and amazed again at the difference in their trajectory of their work. The roadmap that we lay out for them at E2 and the framework we give them is semi-structured, but the path that they take is always going to be different because they are different places. Sydney, Nebraska is one of the coolest case studies, I think, on entrepreneurial ecosystems. And I contend that it is because those people care a whole heck of a lot. When we have meetings with Sydney, they bring 20 to 30 of, I swear, the brightest individuals I've had the chance to work with. And they get into a meeting and they are dynamic, all of them, all of them, dynamic, effective, they care deeply, but they also understand what collaboration and just the ability to to work together really means that it's those volunteers are going to really make a phenomenal ecosystem. And as I'm sure our listeners, some of if they've listened long, they know, you know, the challenges that Sydney has faced with the closing of the Cavellas and the movement of it and kind of what that has done to their ecosystem. But you and I know, because we've been there recently, just what that has really done to their community, which is driven from the ground up, this desire to sustain what they have come to know and love. And Cabela's afforded them a really cool community. They have well-trained, intelligent individuals, and those well-trained, intelligent individuals love that community and will continue to stay there and drive for that. So that's just a fun community to work in. And then I also have the blessing of working in McCook, which is only 60 miles from me. So I get to travel there and be there in person. And then Keith County, Ogallala, home of Lake McConaughey, which is just cool. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it, because that is just kind of a surprise in the prairie of Nebraska, this beautiful, I think it's a hundred miles in perimeter, right? Mm-hmm. When Don, okay, Lake. And it's, you know, so that there's just so many really great opportunities that all of these communities have. I mean, I could list all of them and they all have unique things that will make people want to stay and grow and build businesses and build lives there. Well, and I want to go back to Sydney because I think there's an important lesson because across rural America, we've had structural change. Major employers have left, sawmills have closed, we've lost manufacturing plants. And so there's lots of communities in rural America that are struggling because of this structural economic change. And of course, with Cabela's, 
in the Sydney area, they employed almost 2,000 people in a community of 6,000. But I think one of the things that I'd like you to just to touch on briefly is when we did the tour back in September of Sydney, so many of the new businesses were folks who worked and learned skills and experiences at Cabela's did not want to leave. And it's created this surge of entrepreneurial activity that's really pretty remarkable and speaks to the resiliency, almost a silver lining that even though Cabela's is gone, those 2,000 jobs are gone, there is this new pool of dynamic entrepreneurial talent that really speaks to this resilience and this spark in Sydney. Thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that because you're absolutely right. They had an energy that you could just feel talking to really anybody in that community. And obviously the ones who have invested and purchased a business, started a business, they're going to sing the praises, I think, of of their community. But it was the people that, you know, were frontline at a gas station, for example, that had that same level of pride. And I don't think that's been easy for them. I, I can't imagine it has been. That's a major, major thing that happened to a small community, but they did stay. Or there's also stories of people who who left, who went to Springfield for a while to stay with their job, but then said, you know what, we we miss our home. We miss our hometown. We miss the freedom. One business owner, I remember because she has a, a dress shop, I mentioned I had the 14-year-old teenager, right? So this couture dress shop really, really resonated with me as my daughter's going to prom and snowball and things. And she said, yeah, we went to Springfield. We worked, we liked it. It was great, but we missed the open spaces. My husband missed hunting. My kids miss being able to just roam freely and the things that we know and love about rural life. And so they came back and they said, well, our family needs to eat. So how does that look? And we will find the gaps in our current ecosystem when we will plug and play what makes sense to us and what makes sense to our community. And they've done that. They've been crazy successful, innovative because they know how to operate the web version of their business. You know, they do really awesome Instagram videos and, and initiatives and programs and things. And it's just, it's fun to watch because they do have that skill set because of their experience at Cabela's. So they do have a different skill set. And I think that that's important. And it speaks a lot to Don, what we tell kids in rural America. Yeah, go have that experience, but come back home. Go gain that corporate knowledge, but bring it back and let's do something really amazing with it. And those are the people that tend to be hyper successful in rural environments when they've seen the pros and cons to living in a more corporate world. There's always good and bad, but then they know how they want to raise their families and and live out the rest of their lives. And so we love those success stories. And I think Sydney has hundreds of them. Yeah. Well, as I warned you when we did our, our pre-pep, time goes fast. So time for one more question, and it really relates to the future of E2, your future with E2, because you're part of the new talent that's coming into E2. And so as we look out over the next couple of years, share with us a little bit of a, an idea of what E2 is going to be doing, and so our, our viewers have a bit of a glimpse of how E2 might be a resource to them in the coming years? Sure. Well, I think what we're doing in Oregon and Nebraska is a model that makes sense for us 
at Network Kansas. And I know we've talked about this. Network Kansas is the kind of the parent company for E2. So Network Kansas has had so much success in their e-community program, which is basically driving local decision-making. They have empowered local decision-making in, in the form of money and entrepreneur programming and anything to support their entrepreneurs. And so we know that that model works because we have 17 years of it in Kansas. And that is the model that makes sense to take national for us. So similar to our Nebraska and our Oregon work right now, where it's this kind of statewide or regional wide initiative, we work and it's, this isn't a, unfortunately not a sprint. We all know it's a marathon. This is long-term work, but diving into these communities, giving them that capacity, that knowledge base that they need to then support their ecosystem, but then also to reach out to their neighbors 30 miles down the road and say, Hey, let's do this together. Cause your research will for days tells us this region wide approach makes sense. And we all need to think more regional. And so that's the approach start in one community and then grow out. And in Nebraska and Oregon, that's what we're doing. That's what we did in Kansas. That's what our friends at the in Minnesota, Pam Bishop is doing at the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation with her Rev communities. So we know it works and we will, we want to continue to do that work. We've grown a lot, as you know, Network Kansas has evolved and changed. And so we are building capacity appropriately as we can, but we hope to continue this work nationwide. And again, take the really good things we've learned in Kansas and take them to the next level. And with your guidance, Don, on this national approach, I think it makes sense. And that's the space that we've said, okay, this makes a lot of sense for us to be in. So that's where we'll be. Great. Well, Tara, thank you for what you do. Thank you for being my friend and my colleague and being my guest today on this podcast. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. You bet. Well, folks, time to wrap up. As always, I want to share with you a few resources that are available to you all the time and some ones that we're going to make available to you as part of this podcast with Tara. Again, if you go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org, there's a whole set of free resources that you can use. If you're looking for something particular, drop me an email and I can give you some guidance. You can join our E2 National Practitioners Network and access our full library of E2 University resources. Sign up for the monthly newsletter, which is your go-to resource for new content that's coming out. And of course, you can access all of our podcasts, including this one. Specific to this podcast today, we're going to share some background on Tara and her contact information. She's a go-to person at E2. And so if you're looking for assistance down the road, reach out to her and she can begin a conversation with you. And we're also going to share some more information about our current and recent past ecosystem building work with Network Kansas growing rural Oregon, Nebraska's E3 initiative, and as referenced by Tara, Pam Bishop's work with Rev in Southern Minnesota. So it has been great to be with you today. And remember folks, all our best to you and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thanks and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. 
I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm-hmm.